0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Joe Weisenthal.
1: And I'm Tracy Allaway.
0: So Tracy, you know, a long time ago now, it feels like we had the joke about, well, should we just turn this into a, uh, a semiconductor podcast?
1: Yes. Yes. And you've you've really run with that joke. OK, well, <laughs> the
0: thing is, is we keep we can't escape it. Like we keep thinking like, you know, we like first started talking about it, it's like, oh, well, this is like an interesting topic for us. But it turns out little did we know when we first started covering this story on the podcast, which I think was last October, or last November, that actually it would blow up into this huge issue, semiconductor manufacturing that became, like, essentially national uh, topic of national news far outside the sort of, like, the niche audience.
1: Right. Semiconductors secretly rule all our lives. And I'm, I'm joking, obviously, but nowadays everything is so high tech that there are a lot of appliances that you wouldn't necessarily think of that have chips in them. Um, so smartphones, computers, things like that, obviously, but also lots of of cars. um, And I I saw one headline float by, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but uh, something about aluminum producers warning of a downturn because of a chip shortage as well. So chips are everywhere. And I think we're really starting to realize how important they are and also how important chip makers are. And of course, as we've been discussing, there's a limited number of those.
0: Right. And so anyone who sort of listened to our series, we started talking about the decline of intel. We talked about why U.S. manufacturing in general has sort of uh, gone away. And we talked, of course, about the dominant role of Taiwan Semi. And it's like almost like, again, it was not intentional, but now there's like this huge thing and everyone is waking up to how dependent we all are on Taiwan Semiconductor and a few other major uh, fabs. And it's, uh, it's become a legit U.S. national security question. And we know the Biden administration is looking at it and, you know, looking at different ways to reduce U.S. dependence. So we really can't get away from this story. And obviously, we're going to be talking about it again today. And I bet it won't even be the last time we talk about it. (laughs) I
1: think you might be right on that one.
0: So, uh, well, I'm really excited because actually we are going to be uh, going back to our very first guest, who uh, gave a sort of great overview of some of the best uh, clear English descriptions of the challenges of chip manufacturing. And uh, it was the first one. Everyone should go back and listen to that one. We were then talking about the decline of Intel. But we're going to zoom out a little bit and look at the acute shortage that the world is facing right now. Why are so many uh, companies struggling with their ability to source chips? And then the longer term issue of this is scarce and capacity is scarce. And even if we get through this current phase, there is going to be still this uh, sort of perhaps a dangerous over-reliance on a few manufacturers that are capacity limited. So uh, very excited. We're going to be speaking again, second time on the show, Stacey he his managing director, senior analyst, U.S. Semiconductors at Bernstein Research. Uh, Stacy, thank you uh, so much for coming back on Oddlot it's fantastic to be back. Thank you for having me again. What's it like? I mean, you know, you're like a star now because at one point, semiconductors were just like this thing that maybe investors mostly cared about. But it really does feel like, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it really does feel like in the last few months, everybody is now obsessed with this story.
2: Uh, you know, I think I may have mentioned this last time I was on, but i there's one reason I love this space. It's literally ground zero for everything that's been going on and it's, it's, you know, it's not just the last few months. It was all the trade and, and the tariffs right, right. and, and then the, the, the burgeoning geopolitics and, and now obviously the shortages and everything else. Like it's, and like, you, you have to remember, I mean, like the global electronics, and like enterprise, like, I, I mean, it's like a four or $5 trillion industry, like worldwide. If you add up all the PCs and, 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 and all of the consumer electronics and then all the services and software and everything that, that, that goes with it. Trillions and trillions of dollars, and it all rests on semiconductors. Semis are the fundament of all of that. Like we don't have any of that without semiconductors, and so I, I think it's a phenomenal place to, to, to spend time. It's and, it, and it's and it's job security for me too. So that that's a
1: that's yeah, that's that's the most important thing. <laughs> <laughs> that helps for sure. Um, so I guess just to begin, maybe you could describe how bad. Things are at the moment in terms of the chip shortage. Yeah.
2: Um I, it depends on on the market. Obviously, automotive is getting the most press. And that is where the shortages are most are most acute, although it is, they are starting to bleed into other areas um slowly, but they are. And, and I think the driver is a little bit different. Let's talk a little bit about automotive. Great. And automotive was was sort of unique. Um, most end markets in semis through COVID actually proved to be fairly remarkably resilient. Um, automotive, however, had some fairly sizable shocks, and if you sort of look at like end-end uh, market production for uh, for cars, in terms of like year-over-year growth, um, in the trough quarter of COVID, it was actually worse than what we saw in the finan- in the trough quarter of the financial crisis. I think in COVID, uh, uh, in the in in was a Q2 or whenever it was or, or whatever month it was, I can't remember, but it was, it was down like forty percent or something like that in terms of production. It was a lot, and then it's obviously production snapped back uh, faster than the financial crisis, but it was it was a very big hit. Part of that was obviously because of, of supply. So we have a lot of auto plants that are in obviously in places like China, but also in like the U.S. and Europe, and they were all shut down um, with the early lockdowns. And then there was a demand shock as well. I mean, people were trapped in their houses and they weren't driving anywhere, and autos are a pretty big purchase, and so people weren't like rushing out to go buy cars. And because of that, the auto OEMs, I mean, they kind of in some sense did this to themselves. They went and they canceled all the all, all the orders for all the chips and everything else that goes into this stuff because demand had collapsed. And and the problem is when they canceled those those orders for companies like you know an NXP or an Infineon that that have their own factories, I mean, they reduced their factory loadings. They didn't make the parts. And you know for parts that were being outsourced to companies like TSMC, you know those orders those auto orders went away. But like other demand for other things was so strong that that capacity immediately got backfilled, right? Now we go forward a little bit and, you know, some parts of the world, you know, even in the U.S. and in Europe, like the auto plans started to open up. And then parts of the world like China, who actually came out of COVID, you know, I guess good for them, but much better than we have in the U.S. here. Demand started to go off the charts because, you know, people, they they didn't want to take public transportation. They wanted to drive. And so there was a lot of pent-up demand and, and everything. And so you have this massive demand snapback, and so they all went and and to recover the orders. But the problem is you, you can't turn a semiconductor factory on and off like a light switch. Like if I if I take my factory loadings down, if I reduce that, I mean, if I start a wafer, a raw wafer today, I don't get chips out the other end of the factory for three, four, five months. And and this gets to the last issue of automotive. They don't run with any inventory. The auto supply chain has tended to run much more on like a just in time kind kind of inventory management not just for semis, but like across the board. So there's not a lot of slack in the system. And so now they're coming back like hat in hand. They they want seven. They're, ju- they're just no parts. It's just going to take time to build them. Uh, and so this is problematic. And this is why we're seeing um, uh, the effects to the degree that we are in automotive.
0: Well, just to be clear, when you say the effects that we're seeing to the degree that they are, I know I think these stories have really emerged over the last month and a half or so. What do you put into context how uh, how big of a problem this is for the industry?
2: Well, I I mean, IHS just just came out with their forecast. They think um, the Q1, we're going to lose close to a million cars in terms of production levels.
0: Wow.
2: Right, which is what I mean, you figure the industry, I mean, what's a typical like, um, uh, sometimes you'll hear me say SAR. The SAR is uh, a... People refer to that. Um, it, it's an acronym, but it basically means like how many cars are they going to sell in a year? Seasonally adjusted uh, annual rate, I think, is what it stands for for for, for, yeah. for car sales. Um, you know, normal SAR is oh, I don't know, ballpark ninety million cars a year get built, something like that. Um, and so we've got a million in one quarter. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's a decent amount of cars that are missing. Hopefully, those will get those will get built later on in the year. You know, hopefully, you can, you can argue that that demand will stick around. But for now, that's the kind of impact, and you can. I mean, make a price assumption for what a car sells for, and that sort of tells you, from from an auto OEM standpoint, how much revenue they're they're losing. I, I, you know, GM and Ford have put out some numbers, um, and it's in you know it's in the multiple billions of dollars in terms of um, many billions of dollars of, of lost sales, at least for now, uh, that that that's, that's impacting in the auto supply chain. Now, in terms of the auto semi suppliers, they're actually a really good place because if you sort of look at these dynamics, it also suggests that the auto recovery from a semi standpoint has some legs to it. The reason, and there's a number of reasons. One is obviously there's there's just selling everything that they can possibly make right now. The 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 channel is bone dry. There are no parts, and so everything that the semi guys can possibly make is getting shipped and it's getting put into a car. And they're ramping their production levels up, and so that will carry on for a while. And you're not just like going to 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 eventually to to, um to go into a car. You also need to, to refill the channel somewhat, and then. Longer term, it is highly likely, in my opinion, that the auto supply chain may be rethinking this whole just-in-time inventory management. And so, if they need to run with higher levels of buffer inventory, um, that will be an additional layer on top of everything else that will need to be shipped to, to to build that that level of parts up. Since that's good, and then if you just look at the overall level of of the recovery, we're still early in the unit recovery in general. And if I look at like the IHS forecast for autos, I think the auto SAR was down sixteen percent in twenty twenty. I think the current forecast, at least like from IHS, have it up like 14% uh, year over year in 2021, but at levels that are still below pre-COVID levels. And I can make the argument that post-COVID, maybe auto demand in general will be higher. You know, again, maybe people will want to drive more and, and, and everything else. And so, like, I can make the argument from, from the semiconductor side of things that this has some legs, but we're going to, we we have to see how this works out. We're going to get more disruption. Obviously, these guys are all trying to to, to build this up, but- you have to remember the, the other problem with cars is there's a ton of semiconductors in them and they come from all over the place <laughs> and you need all of them. You need the full kit before you can build the car. So again, I'll, I'll make it up. But if you're building a $50,000 automobile, if I'm short the one $2 microcontroller that goes into, you know, into the, into the, the driver's seat to, with the motor to make the seat go back and forth. If I can't get that one part, I can't build the car. <laughs> I need, I need everything. And so it, it, you know, you'll have some companies that sort of start to correct like faster than others, maybe. But in general, everybody, the whole supply chain kind of has to get back into balance before things can really be smooth again. That's, that's going to take a while. But from a, it's, it's probably a good thing to be an auto semi-vendor right now.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, what's coming through from this conversation is that cars are clearly the most affected. And this brings me to a question that I've been wanting to ask for a while. But given we have an overwhelming demand for chips versus available supply. How do chip makers actually decide to allocate their orders? So I imagine if they get an order from, say, Apple for a million chips, that's probably going to be treated differently to an order from um, Ford or something like that.
2: Yeah, and it depends. And so, again, there's two mechanisms. We may have talked about this a little bit last time. Two mechanisms that the industry uses to make chips. So one is, like I said, it's called an IDM model, integrated device manufacturer. These are companies that 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 make their own chips, and then there's companies that that outsource production to come to to what's called a foundry. This is a company like TSMC right. in Taiwan, right? Uh, and some companies split the difference, like uh, you know, NXP. They they make a bunch of stuff in house, and then they also outsource, outsource depending on on what it is. So in some cases, um, they've got a mixed they've got a mixed model. I guess what you're referring to primarily is probably the, the, the foundry model because they're like TSMC is, is a company that makes products for everybody across every end market, right? This is another problem, at least with auto. Auto is a very small piece of TSMC's business. Even in a, in a normal year, it's like 4% of their revenues. And so it went down to like 2% in 2020 because, like I said, when they canceled those orders, like other, other people backfilled them. And, and like every, everybody went bananas, obviously, over this. You know, we were seeing, you know, like Germany and like all these other companies, they were trying to put pressure on TSMC. But I mean, at the end of the day, like auto is not a very important market for TSMC. It's actually very small. So, I mean, it's quite obvious they're going to pro- obviously prioritize like higher volume stuff, um, especially if it's there. We're, we're actually hearing now that, that they may be starting to push some of these auto orders like through the fab faster now to try to make up for this. And they can do that. But you, you disrupt others, you got to push other guys aside. And so it, it, it costs money, typically it costs extra. So we'll see um, what that means. But yeah, I mean, in general, I mean, you, you order, at least at the foundry, like you put your orders in, you order a certain amount of, of wafers, you know, a certain amount of capacity. It, it depends on the relationship. If it's a big order, and you've got a long relationship, yeah, you'll probably get prioritized. If you're small. And again, you know, if a lot of this stuff, maybe the volumes aren't that high. I mean, that that becomes problematic, especially if you give up those, those capacity slots. And that, that's what these guys did, right? They gave them up.
0: Well, can you explain that a little bit further? Like how commoditized, I guess, is the production capacity such that, okay, the automakers canceled their orders in the spring when it looked like the industry was collapsing, or at least there was this lull. How translatable is one type of chip capacity to another such that they could just fill the slot uh, with a totally different kind of customer, I guess.
2: I mean, at TSMC, it's fungible on a process-by-process basis. So, I I mean, we're talking like, you you, you know, I'll make it up. If it's, you know, if it was something leading edge, it was some sort of advanced processor that goes into the infotainment in the car or something. Maybe that's being made at TSMC on like their 7-nanometer. Uh, like that gets canceled up. I, I mean, like, 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 MediaTek will snap that up in a heartbeat, right? For the smartphone, it's the same process, different chip, but same process.
0: Okay.
2: Um, on a more lagging edge thing, you know, analog. I mean, because the other thing is there. There's been a very strong, like, in general, like industrial demand, and so even on mature node stuff, if that capacity opens up, it, it's it's available. And like at TSMC, I mean, you're basically booking wafers at a certain process, mostly, and and you know, it, it's in some sense it is fungible. It depends on the product. There are some products that are, you know, use more specialized manufacturing, more specialized materials or structures, and that may be less so, but by and large, I mean, especially for the stuff that's being outsourced, yeah, that capacity is available. That's that's TSMC's business model, that's what they do.
1: So, Stacey, you mentioned the idea that uh, the chip shortage is bad enough that maybe it's going to encourage car companies to rethink the way they're actually ordering and stockpiling all these chips. I I guess the other big question is, will it be enough to encourage uh, the factories themselves to try to expand supply in a meaningful way? Or can they actually do it? And also, will it encourage efforts by governments to build their own sort of independent supply of chips?
2: Yeah, well, that's you know, your, your second question that's already happening. And we, we can address that. I mean, um, there's, there's a whole thing around um, trying to bring more to diversify the manufacturing supply chain and bring more back and back on house. And you guys have talked about this in, in other um, semiconductor odd lots, the whole you know, full dependence on Taiwan and everything. So that's going on anyways. We've actually had some some talk. I mean, like like I know there was a letter that went, um, I think from the SIA, signed by a whole bunch of uh, semiconductor CEOs recently. And I know people have been, to, to the Biden administration, and I know people have been pushing them to try to do something to alleviate the capacity constraints. There's not a whole lot they can do in the, in the near term. I mean, even if they decided tomorrow to to fund a bunch of capacity expansion, you know, it it takes years to to build this stuff out, right? So- Nothing they're doing will, will affect the issues right now. The only thing you can do right now is you can encourage the, the guys that do their own manufacturing to ramp capacity, which they're doing. And I'll get to the other part of your question in a minute on that. Um, and encourage TSMC you know, and other foundries to, to, to try to accelerate um, the auto wafers through the fabs, which, again, they seem to be doing in, in, in some sense, but it'll take time. A lot of the guys that do their own manufacturing actually are increasing capacity. And, and um, you know, uh, uh, NXP talked about this a little bit, they're they're ramping. It it just, it just takes time to do it. Like none of this, none of this stuff is instant, right? You have to buy the tools, you have to install them. You have to qualify them with automotive in particular, the qualification there's a, there's what's called a qualification process to make sure that the part itself works. Um, And you have to qualify the part typically made on a specific process at a specific location. And and the reason is within automotive, the reliability levels need to be really, really high. Like you can't like have recall, you know, thousands of $50,000 automobiles because a $2 microcontroller doesn't work. Right. So there's a whole qualification process you have to go through too, as you're bringing capacity up. So it just takes time. As far as TSMC goes, like, I'll be honest, like auto's not a big piece of their business. I don't know how how eager they are to bring on more automotive uh, capacity in general, but, it'll get to the other point of like where the rest of these constraints are coming tsmc actually is adding a ton of capacity this year um right. just because demand is off the charts
0: so that was something that came out well after our last discussion and i think it was even after when we did our tsmc specific episode it might have even been like a couple of days later what they announced was like something like they were going to do 28 billion dollars in fresh capital expenditure 25 to yeah. 28 billion this year up from like Can 17 you... last year Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, what is that? Put that into context, because that number came out. TSMC telling somebody they're gonna do twenty-eight billion in capital expenditures. How? What does that mean? How big is that?
2: It's like fifty percent of their revenues. (laughs) It's big. Intel's average capital expenditure in a given year, ballpark fifteen billion. Wow. Right, it it it's it's a it's big, and and frankly, some of it actually may even be Intel because like Intel will be doing more outsourcing. Although, right, my my guess is you know, and, and when they saw that when people saw that guide, actually, people really thought Intel was going to be doing a ton of outsourcing. Although, when Gelsinger uh, talked on the, on Intel's earnings call recently, he basically said, "We think we fixed seven. Like, we'll see. We think we fixed it And the majority of our products. Like in twenty twenty three, will be in house. Although they they will be increasing their use of outsourcing. So, but this is a this is a twenty twenty guide. Like, I think a lot of the just. In general, demand overall is off the charts. So you can look at, and this gets to your other, the, the question you asked like first, which is what about the other supply constraints outside of auto, right? So they're actually being driven more by, by demand versus like massive right. whipsaws in, in, in the supply situation. Like we didn't really see all that much. And, and by and large, like I said, semis in general through COVID have been pretty resilient. PCs have been off the charts. Like anything that was work from home, study from home, play from home, PCs, 5G smartphones, game consoles, GPUs, uh, AI data center stuff, um, in, industrial in general, especially in areas like China, it's all been just really, really strong. And it, like PCs, for example, like we hit 300 million PCs in 2020. We haven't seen numbers like that in years and years. Notebooks grew like 35% year over year. Total PCs grew like 16 or something. Um, to give you some context there, the, the prior kind of normalized run rate for the industry was like 250 million units and it had been falling for a decade. All of a sudden we went to 300 million. I, I mean, like demand is off the charts. Um, smartphones, smartphones have been kind of weak, but 5G has been incredibly strong and 5G has much higher semiconductor content. Game consoles, go try to buy a PlayStation or a Switch, like you can't, they're sold out. Same thing with a GPU, right? Like that, that, that demand for leading edge capacity, TSMC is sold out. I mean, they've been sold out. And then on the more mature node stuff, Industrial has been very strong, and again, we can talk about some of the, the risks here, sustainability, and everything else. But like areas like in China, that recovered very rapidly. I mean, China's GDP grew this year, right, in, in 2020. Um, Industrial has been very strong, and it just sucks up all that capacity. And TSMC has been tight forever, and they're even tighter now. And so they're 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 adding, right? And 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 they see. I think they have talked about kind of multi year growth. You know, I, I can't remember 20 percent a year. I think for the next five years or something. I think is what they said. But that's what's causing most of the other shortages. It's it's less of a, you know, the, the, the supply went offline and then you have to come back. Right. It's just demand's been off the charts and just there's only so much supply that's out there in the first place.
1: So this feeds into something else I wanted to ask, which is how normal is it in the chip industry to have capacity constraints after a downturn? Like, does it always take some time for supply to balance out with demand, given it's hard to sort of estimate you know when people are going to start buying computers and things like that again or and how how exceptional is this current situation versus what we've seen before
2: yeah i'll I'll need to step you back but first i gotta tell you 2020 for semis was not a downturn semis semis grew six and a half percent year over year in 2020 2019 was a downturn 2017 and 28 were very in 2018 were very strong 20 2020 was was a good year and 2021, I mean, if you just roll up out like normal seasonality off of where we are right now, I mean, you could be up double digits, like assuming we don't hit a wall. We can, again, we can talk about that. But 2020 was not a downturn. That, that, and that, like, that's part of the thing. I think in early in 2020, people thought it would be a downturn, right? And so you sort of planned accordingly and then it, and then it wasn't. You were sort of asked like, how does this compare versus history? This, the cyclical nature of the industry has actually changed quite a bit. And so you're right, it used to be very cyclical, and you would get big swings in industry utilization and big mismatches between supply and demand. Um, and, and, and the reason is, I mean, you can go back to like 2000, for example. This was like a, this was the tech bubble, but it was sort of an extreme example of a supply-driven cycle. What used to happen is demand would be strong, supply would be tight, companies would build out incremental capacity because you'd be leaving money on the table right? Pricing would go up because like end customers would be fighting to, 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 to fill up that capacity and then to get the products. It would take, you know, 18 to 20, 18 months or whatever it was to sort of bring that capacity back online, to bring the new capacity on. Usually by then the business cycle would be turning. All of a sudden, the, 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 and I have the charts, like the, the CapEx uh, the historically would come on right when, when demand was falling off. All of a sudden you go from full fabs to empty fabs. You would lower price now because like it, it, once you have the acid in the ground, it's always better to fill it with something rather than nothing as long as you're covering your cash cost. And so you get in the industry units and pricing moving together and you get really big swings. And I mean, it wasn't uncommon. We used to, to see like normal revenue swings year over year in semiconductors. It could be 20, 30 percent in either direction. Like it was very, very common. Um, and like I said, 2000, 2001, the tech bubble was sort of an extreme example of this kind of supply driven cycle. We don't really get these kinds of cycles anymore. We get them in memory. But for the rest of the industry, supply and demand has actually been much better matched over the last, like, five to ten years. Yeah,
0: I remember, like, when I first started, like, I, I briefly had a job in, like, 2004, 2005, and it involved some equity research. And, like, the book-to-bill race ratio, isn't that, like, a thing? Didn't that used to be a big thing in semis? Maybe it still is, but...
2: Yeah, it depends on the company. It still can be.
0: But, like, that was, like, a big indicator in terms of, like where we were at any given time for the industry in that cycle that you just described.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's less important now. I mean, again, we've we've had just, like I said, we've had better, you know, kind of channel management. Um, We've had some companies like Texas incidents for for example, that do a lot of stuff on consignment where the book to bill by definition is one anyways. So it's, it depends on the company for some of these like large diversified guys that sell a lot through the channel book to bill can still be important for the semi cap guys book to bill in some sense can still be important. But it's probably a less meaningful uh, metric than it was, you know, like, like in the early 2000s, which is when you're talking about. Yeah. Like I said, these kind of supply cycles, we do get them in memory. And, and memory is a supply-demand-driven business. And, and we can we could have probably have another whole call just on memory at some point if you wanted to. <laughs> Great. But in general, for the broader industry, we don't really see massive supply cycles anymore. What we mostly see are inventory cycles. Like, we'll see. We haven't we've seen constraints before, but I, I, we've never really had constraints that were in some part driven by a by a potential global catastrophe. <laughs> That's we we've had we, we've had natural disasters and things that have caused problems. Well,
0: like I want, and I want to talk about that because I remember like 1999. And this is something that actually I want to bring up because I remember, like, I know 1999, there was an earthquake in Taiwan and it briefly knocked Taiwan Semi's production off. With the world so dependent on Taiwan and Taiwan is on a fault line, what are the risks of a big earthquake that seriously disrupts the semiconductor supply chain, which now, as we understand, is the supply chain of everything for a sustained period of time? And how, how much of that is an issue?
2: Yeah, uh, look, so, I mean, TSMC, I mean, they, they build pretty well in, in Taiwan and they're prepared for earthquakes. But if we had like an eight and a half or something in Taiwan, yeah, it would be really problematic. Um, sure. This is one reason that they've, in general, people have pushed for diversification. Like, like you take global founders for example. I mean, the the global in their name is not an accident. Like, part of their value proposition was we have fabs everywhere, right? They're in Singapore and they're in Europe and they're in the U.S., right? Obviously, they don't do leading edge anymore. It's it's it's, it's other stuff. But that was part of in the theory of their value proposition was was uh, geographical diversification. I mean you can get disasters anywhere obviously I mean we even just recently we had the earthquake in Japan you know we, we've we've got the storms in Texas right now we've got fabs semiconductor fabs a number of them in Austin that are that were shut down because of that but yeah I would say like if we had some like massive like natural disaster in Taiwan it would be problematic
1: yeah so I have a million dollar question for you but um, you know is <laughs> is the shortage <laughs> going to be um, intense enough or bad enough to uh, help? intel
2: in, intel is a little different right so they're they, they've had some shortage of last year or so but but not so much because of, i mean they, they brought an additional supply it's just pc demand has been off the charts right so it's not like if you're asking like because of the shortages are they going to pick up incremental customers no they do not have a custom foundry business right and, and this gets part of the part of the argument of like building new factories in the u.s and I, I, we've written about that. We may have even talked about this a bit last time. I, I think I told you last time, like the 20 or $25 billion over like five years, which is I think what some of the numbers we're hearing about in the US, right? it, it's rounding error. I think I used the phrase, we need an Apollo moment, right? But you could imagine like what could happen. Let's, let's imagine a scenario where like Intel was anointed a national champion and we were going to help them build like tons of new fabs in the US. They don't have a third party business. So either they'd have to find some way to attract a bunch of third party customers, which we can talk about why they've had problems with that in the past. Or like that number, money may be better off going to like a non-US company like a TSMC or a Samsung that has customers. So no, I don't think that like because of shortages at TSMC or something that like Intel is going to pick up a bunch of incremental revenue from that. Where Intel is benefiting right now is that PC demand is off the charts, right? And the Intel, to their credit, had a very good year last year. I wonder, and it's so horrible to say it, but I wonder like what they would have looked like if it wasn't for COVID. My guess is PCs would not have been nearly as strong as they right. were. Right. And and we'll see what happens. You know, going forward, I mean, just my personally, like I I live in Los Angeles and I've got four kids and like they've all been home from school since April. I bought four notebooks last year. Wow. I'm probably not buying any notebook computers for a while.
0: What's that like buying a notebook as a semiconductor analyst? You know, it's like I go on every I buy a new computer every few years. I like click a few buttons. I don't really care because all I do is tweet and record this podcast with Tracy. But like, you know, how what's the uh, computer buying Process like for someone who knows as much as you.
2: I've learned a lesson, which is to try to buy better. I, I, and I got to give cre- Intel credit for him. I, we, I bought cheap PCs in the past; they don't they never last. So I bought good ones on the hope that they can use them for a while. Um, but that's that's has got and, and that's that's what I bought.
1: So. If you had to choose like one lasting impact of the chip shortage, like one big thing it's going to change in the industry, what would it be? Like, what is the most likely likely outcome? Well, I, I think
2: there's a few things. I mean, I mean, look, we, we've already talked about like all, what's auto going to do with with inventories. They, I, I think they're going to have to hold higher inventories. I, I think that's uh, fine. The other is like you know, again, I wonder about TSMC. So like they've got this like massive capex guide. Is it ever going to go structurally lower? I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, again, they were doing you whatever it was, you know, 15 billion, 17 billion. Like, is is that capex number ever going to not have a two in front of it? Uh, maybe not. Like, maybe it'll stay up here. So, I think that's that's quite possible that that capex level. I mean, there are there are reasons to to, to think that 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 semiconductor uh, uh, capex should be structurally higher going forward, anyways. But I mean, like that that is one we're actually seeing a lot more demand. And and by the way. Especially if you think that, like coming out of COVID, that semiconductors are going to be more important than they were, and I, I've kind of been coming around to this. You know, I was of the belief for a while, for a long time, frankly, that semis were mature. I we even did a big um, a piece, I was, what Bernstein calls a black book, a few years back, called Playbook for Maturing Industry, and the idea was that maybe the industry has gone X growth, and like in that environment, like you want to invest in certain ways, and. I'm no longer convinced that that's necessarily true. We've had a number of good growth years since then, and coming out of COVID, I'll put the, the near-term cyclical concerns aside for a minute. But if I'm looking long-term, I gotta say I'm more positive on semis longer-term than I think I have been in a long time. I, I think we are seeing real, not not the whole, but but, but real growth growth applications that are that are that people are driving real businesses off of, whether it's AI. You know, or, or whether it's you know, you know, um, again, auto. I've been an auto semi bull for a long time. That that content uh, story is really coming through, and autonomous driving, and even five G and IoT and all this stuff. I also think COVID has really pulled digitization forward by by years. And then we're seeing like both from a functional as well as a, a strategic standpoint, just given all of like the sovereign interest, how important this this industry actually is. You you, you know, to to the global economy. Yeah, I'm I'm more important I'm, I'm, I'm more positive long term on, on on semis, I think, than 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 maybe I have been in a long time. And so maybe that's a third change that could be coming out of out of all this. And maybe not having to necessarily just with the shortages. But I mean we're just seeing in general like how important this stuff really is. And when we have a lack of them, like how much it hurts.
0: you actually I feel like uh, we brushed over a little bit the impact of the shortage on the sort of the non-auto areas. I mean, like so like I assume there's semiconductors in refrigerators. We know there's big shortages of those. And I think there's various reasons. I know demand is off the charts. Tracy and I recently did an episode about shipping. And so I think just getting like a, you know, washing machine or a. Uh, a refrigerator shipped is probably uh, a pretty big bottleneck right now for that industry. But how much is uh, the sourcing of chips even an issue for, like, things that we don't really think of as tech per se?
2: There's chips in everything. And, and frankly, like, like, even things that didn't used to have chips are getting chips in them now, even even right. your refrigerator. Which, by the way, you could argue maybe is not the right way to go. I don't, I don't really need, like, like internet on my fridge, but you can
0: buy one. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but no, but I mean semis in general, i, I mean, it, like it, but is that part of like when when all when all these when all these customers are complaining about shortages and I can't get this, et cetera, like it, I don't know if it's as big of a deal as it is for cars, but is that part of the story here that people need to understand I, look
2: I, it's it's not as like I said before, it's not as 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 much of an issue as it is with cars because I don't think you had the supply chain disruption that we had with cars, and I think automotive has some of these unique characteristics that made it particularly vulnerable to to this. But we are seeing shortages and just just again, just because demand is off the charts and capacity is, is what it is. It'll take tsMC time and other foundries time to bring more capacity online. Um, but but yeah, I, I mean, anything that requires like semiconductors in general um is is going to be tight because you've got lots of and some of these end markets that are fighting for capacity are very big, right? And they're going to suck suck up more. Again, you had we just went through an apple cycle, like Apple takes up a ton of capacity. Um, you've got the data center growth and, 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 and everything else, everything else that's going to take up wafer volume, there's only just so much to go around. So, yeah, I mean, and look over time, it will normalize, right? By definition, like over a long period of time, supply has to exactly equal demand. Right. I mean, if we, if we take it out to infinity, like eventually like that, that's how it will play out. So it it will, it will normalize. By the way, there's other things you got to worry about too, because like in some end markets, if I don't ship the parts now, I can ship them later. In some, but in other end markets, if I don't ship it now, that demand just vanishes, right? PCs is a good example. We're seeing strong PCs right now, but in a normal year, you know there are product cycles. Like if you miss like back to school, like you you don't ship it, right? I mean, it just doesn't it doesn't happen. People don't buy two PCs later to make up for the PC that they didn't buy, right? I I think this is you know these are things that people are going to have to worry about.
1: So here's a really basic question, but do prices of chips just go up or become prohibitively mm. expensive at some point, at least for, I, I guess, um, non-essential uses. Like maybe we get fewer fridges with chips and internet capacity and things like that.
2: You know, it, it really de- depends on, on the chip. Like in some, some markets, like we're seeing this. So for example, some of the auto guys, they're taking up price. It, it it by the way they're not exactly benefit because this isn't the only shortage we're seeing like the, the the semiconductor manufacturers themselves are seeing costs go up because like raw wafers are we're getting a shortage so the costs are going up and then for some of these guys that are using foundries some of the foundries are taking their quotes up right and so we're seeing um so they are like taking up price where they, they need to sometimes but in other in other and in other markets you may have like long term agreements already that that stop you from doing this over time, though, I mean, pricing adjusts, right? If there's, like, continued strong demand and no supply, like, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, but pricing tends not, again, it depends on the end market, but, like, you, you're not going to see it, like, right away.
0: All right. I have one more question. It's very important. So you, you mentioned maybe we'll, uh, we, we should do a memory episode. So at some point in 2021, maybe in a couple months again, we'll have you back we'll talk memory. What is the next episode besides that? People tell us that we should do an ASML um, episode. Is that where we we should go next with our semiconductor journey?
2: Well, maybe. I I mean, like, if you're arguing, like, what are the most important, strategically most important companies in the world? One, I think, is certainly TSMC. The other, you could argue, is ASML, because especially leading-edge manufacturing, like, it requires um, advanced what's called lithography. This is the process that's used to imprint um, the, the circuitry patterns on the chip. ASML is the only game in town. They're the only ones that make the tools that can actually make features that small for for leading edge logic. And so, yeah, it would. Be, and, and but it is a it is a phenomenally interesting company. And and they do, like, if there's any, like, I, I always I think I said before, like, you know, I think semiconductor manufacturing in general can be, it, it's got t- tones of black magic to it. Um And yeah. th- those guys are the are, are the ones that are that are you know the, you know the, those are the wizards, right? Um, AS, ASML, they they're the ones that enable it. Like without ASML, there's no TSMC. <laughs> like there's, right, there's like no that's notebook. like
0: a big part of their capex is basically of check that they write to ASML.
2: Yeah, I mean, you got to think about these tools. Have you ever seen like a, a leading edge lithography tool?
0: Not in person.
2: I mean, they're they're in, so it's this big thing. It's like the size of a room. Like the EUV tools can cost like two hundred million dollars a piece. It's like this the, the price of like 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 a like a jumbo jet, right? I mean, I mean they're. In, incredibly complicated machines. I, again, we, we could talk about like how they work and, 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 but I, like, again, I, I go back to like, I'm amazed it works at all. Like it shouldn't work. It's, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable the the level of of, of engineering and, and science that goes into these things um, just to get the tool to be able to do what it needs to do to make the chips um, to, to do what they need to do. So, yeah. <laughs>
1: I have one more question, actually, which is I've seen a number of commenters now talking about um, chips as the new oil, and you can kind of see the analogy there. I wonder, like, how how far does that analogy go? Is it the right way to be thinking about chips? Or do you have your own sort of um, conceptual commodities framework for how you're thinking about semiconductors right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, so semis is the new oil. I, I mean, look, if, if you figure like a lot of the, the you know, industry ran on oil and shortages caused problems, I, I mean, semis are important, right? I mean, they're critical components of everything that's around us. And I guess in that sense, you could argue that it's that, that they are the new oil. Um, I guess one of the differences, I mean, like I don't know how how far you want to draw the analogy. Oil, oil is a pure commodity, right? And so like the price of the oil is like is is set completely by by the supply demand situation and 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 frankly the the cost structures of the various producers. You know semis are probably a little more differentiated, I guess, from that standpoint. So the dynamics aren't entirely similar, but I mean, the idea that it's like a single, if you want to call semiconductors a single homogeneous like sort of thing which they're not, but if you wanted to sort of look at it at the industry that way, um, it is a, a very large, sort of very strategically important thing that it right now is getting concentrated in some areas of the world or get, that are getting increasingly risky. I think that analogy kind of holds.
0: This is great. I love, you know, I, I love talking chips with you.
1: Uh, Tracy, anything more from you? I think, Stacy, you made it so clear that uh, we've run out of questions, so... Thank you. (laughs) No, that was great,
0: Stacey. Uh, It was awesome. Really appreciate you joining us. I probably will think of some questions. You know what I've always wanted to do? I've always wanted to do a two-part podcast where we interview someone and then publish it and then let a bunch of people ask, like, send us follow up questions and then do another one. Maybe we'll do that one day with you because I bet do it.
2: Look and at, at, anytime you want me to come on, right. I, I'm happy to come on. yes yeah, So if you want to like put like a request out That'd there be for, fun. for QA. Maybe. I, we can we can just do right. a free form Q and A. We'll do that. We'll
0: do that in a few months. Uh Stacy, thank you so much uh uh for coming on back on Oblot.
2: My my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks guys. Thanks, Stacy.
0: That was great. I love this topic. We're going to do more. Sorry. I don't know. I do you want to do more? I really want to do more. <laughs> I feel like we have to do at least two more.
1: I I can tell you're uh, you're gunning for that ASML yeah. episode. So that's fine. I I do I do think it's going to come up yeah. again and again. Um as it has just in the past 6 months. So, yeah. I I'm I'm in for more Chips episodes. I do think we should do a sort of Q&A with Stacey. Yeah. Maybe uh Maybe we should go to Clubhouse. Oh, we could do a Clubhouse with them? Well, you've said you hate Clubhouse, but no, I think I'm, this is a legitimate use. I'm just a
0: hater, but you know what? Or why don't we do like a, um, I think we should do, we should do like one of our streaming episodes with Stacy and then take people's questions. But you know, the other, the thing is that I really like, I mean, obviously I, he does a good job of explaining how there's like two proximate causes for the acute shortage. And one is the sort of distinct situation that happened with autos where they canceled a bunch of orders and then scrambled when they realized that auto demand was off the charts. And then just the fact that the demand for everything else was off the charts. I mean, hearing him describe buying four uh, uh, netbooks or tablets or whatever it was uh, for his kids and everyone buying, you know, new monitors and new computers at home and 5G and AI and video games and PS5s and all that stuff. So you could really see there was essentially like two things that came together at once that just, totally overloading the system right now
1: yeah I mean this I think gets back to the uniqueness of the downturn that we just saw right everyone was sort of treating it like a normal recession yeah but it really isn't a normal recession and we saw consumer demand in many ways was much much stronger than people might have expected
0: well you know something I was thinking about early on and this should have been my clue that we were going to get this sort of more robust recovery than we realized I thought to myself it's like Man, there's never been an economic downturn that was so expensive, like because everyone had just had to go out and buy a bunch of stuff. Right. So like, you <laughs> like go out a few episodes. I talked about how I was like went out and bought a bunch of sardines. People bought toilet paper. People bought, uh, you know, kiddie pools for their backyards so that their kids wouldn't go crazy computers. Like it would. we would never have recessions if every recession required people to spend a bunch of money. But this one, <laughs> it was like we had this huge downturn and it was very expensive. And so it's like the stabilizing mechanism of more spending kicked in in a way automatically. Of course, the fiscal stimulus helped, too. But obviously, the tech industry and chips in particular, one of the huge beneficiaries of that sort of forced spending that lots of people had to do right away.
1: Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, I guess you had like a lot of displaced services um, that you could no longer go to, right? So you couldn't go to restaurants, you couldn't go to schools, uh, you couldn't go to your workplace. And so you kind of had to recreate a lot of those at your home if you had the means to do so, obviously. And basically you had a sort of like double demand for um, goods that would enable you to do that.
0: Pretty extraordinary. And then, of course, you know, obviously beyond the acute thing, um, it really does seem like the sort of supply constraints as judged by that huge taiwan semi uh capex forecast for the coming year, like that part isn't going away, so even if okay, maybe in a couple of quarters or whatever the car cycle is back and everything, and maybe some of this one off demand, you know, I don't think Stacy's going to be buying four new netbooks for his kids this year, so some of that one off demand will fade. It really doesn't seem like um that's going the the broader story of like how much demand there is for chips overall, it uh, is going to go away anytime soon. And so we still are going to be left with those issues of the world, extremely reliant on a couple of manufacturers in both a physical and a geopolitical hotspot.
1: That's your way of saying that uh, we're going to be recording semiconductor episodes for the next like 10 years.
0: Yeah, that is basically that. Okay.
1: (laughs) All right. Shall we leave it there?
0: Yeah, let's leave it there.
1: This has been another episode of the All Thoughts Podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway.
0: And I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. Follow Stacey on Twitter at S. Rasgin. Follow our producer, Laura Carlson. She's at Laura M. Carlson. Follow the Bloomberg head of podcasts, Francesca Levy, at Francesca Today. And check out all of our podcasts at Bloomberg under the handle at Podcasts. Thanks for listening.